This is Travis Marsh, author of Lead Together, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Travis Marsh. Joining me today is Travis Marsh. Travis founded The Mass Mark as a coaching company and works with leaders of purpose-driven companies, both VC-funded and bootstrapped. He started his career in engineering and has worked in sales, marketing, operations, software development, and people operations. He's led teams in several of those areas. Travis is based in San Francisco and is here to talk about his book, Lead Together, The Bold, Brave, Intentional Path to Scaling Your Business. Welcome, Travis. Bill, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's such a pleasure to have you. Travis, tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? I have to say my dad. Both my parents, I love them to death. But my dad was somebody that was doing something, making a difference in the world, whether it was working with handicapped children or doing therapy in the school system. But he was also one that was very willing to call BS when he saw it. He was not a believer that somebody above him in the hierarchy made them more. And I think a lot of the ideas that I got on how information is distributed in an organization, how you want to tap the the people in an organization came from those early lessons. What kind of work did he do? So he's a physical therapist, still is. He's uh, 73, still seeing home health clients out there because it keeps him busy and out of trouble, as he says. He did work in the school system. He had a wheelchair company, building incredibly custom wheelchairs at one point. So he's done a variety of things in that PT area. As you think about some of the lessons that you picked up from your dad, and as you think about some of the lessons that you picked up from your dad, can you think of a time earlier in your career when you were making a decision or thinking about how you needed information to flow in an organization to reach the right people, where some of his advice, some of the lessons, the examples that he said came to you and helped influence a choice that you made? So I would often hear his voice in my head when in my more ornery moments, when Somebody was telling me to do something and I just knew in my heart of hearts that it wasn't the the most right or most effective way of doing it. And so that voice still pops up into my head right now. And that, that still gives me energy. Came to you and helped influence a choice that you made. So I would often hear his voice in my head when in my more ornery moments, when Somebody was telling me to do something, and I just knew in my heart of hearts that it wasn't the the most right or most effective way of doing it. And so that voice still pops up into my head right now, and that that still gives me energy. I think I think both of us, him and I, can use from tamping that down and not letting that come out completely unfiltered, but knowing that it's there and that it's strong and that most of us have strong opinions about what's right and what's wrong in organizations and that those are worth acting on comes up all the time. What is it that he would actually say in your mind? What Did he have a favorite saying? Did he have advice that would help calm you down and give you perspective? The calming down, not so much. So the, the voice I'd hear in my head was often an expletive and 
then I could also hear him saying. And what is it that he would actually say in your mind? What Did he have a favorite saying? Did he have advice that would help calm you down and give you perspective? The the calming down, not so much. So the, the voice I'd hear in my head was often an expletive. And then I could also hear him saying, great, you know how you're feeling. And how are you going to stand up for what you believe and convince other people on what you believe and make this right and do the right thing? Travis, what was a time when that came in handy when early in your career? And Travis, what was a time when that came in handy when you felt like early in your career, you felt like you wanted to just tell someone that they're completely wrong or they've trampled on your territory or your feelings. And instead, you're able to take a beat and then come back and convey to them something that they needed to hear so that you could end up working together. Early in my career, I was in sales and technical sales because I've got an engineering background. And I was out there and a lot of sales, people are told, is making the, the customers feel right and feel loved. And that can work wonderfully for a ton of people. And for me, so early in my career, I was in sales and technical sales because I've got an engineering background. And I was out there and a lot of sales people are told is making the the customers feel right and feel loved. And that can work wonderfully for a ton of people. And for me, I was also having a lot of luck saying, hey, listen, this isn't going to work. You're asking for something that's absolutely not doable. You shouldn't go with us and you shouldn't buy what we've got to sell. You can get this much better and much cheaper from somebody else. That shocked the heck out of the the customers and clients and obviously didn't get that deal. But they came back and they'd come to me later, six months, a year and a half. They were so impressed that I was standing on something stronger that they knew that whatever I told them would be exactly what I believed. So in your book, Lead Together, you talk about a lot of principles. So in your book, Lead Together, you talk about a lot of principles that leaders give cursory attention to often. Let me back up. You you talk about a lot of principles and ideas like value and purpose and mission that are the underpinning of companies that successfully scale. How do you work with companies that want to use these more effectively, yet they don't really have an appreciation for the power of these soft skills, the power of these articulations about what brings people together in a company? Yeah, let me tell you about Mark. He's the founder of an e-commerce company. Soft skills, the power of these articulations about what brings people together in a company. Yeah. So let me tell you a story about Mark. He's the founder of an e-commerce company, Columbia, South Carolina. It's a 30-person company. And the company has been built on family values, right? Like we all come together as a family. And the company has been built on family values, right? Like we all come together as a family. And there's been a sense of a dichotomy that's there in this company. There's People that are picking the things and putting them in boxes, getting them out the door, the real heart of the company where the rubber hits the road. Unfortunately, the way that things have been is, and Amazon forcing prices down, is it, and unfortunately, the way that things have been is, and Amazon forcing prices down, is it becomes really hard to pay a decent wage in that role because there's those people are going to 
often be leaving, sometimes for reasons the company can control, often for reasons the company can't. And they might be leaving in four weeks, a, a couple of months, some short length of time. What do you do in that situation? What they realized is that there's a phenomenal opportunity to take and live their values but they'd have to rearrange a bunch of other things as a part of the company. For instance, if they want to up-level this role, they're going to need to get more value out of it. So if they want to pay people more, they're going to need them to make some better decisions on how the boxes are shipped, lower their error rate dramatically. They're going to have to have other people for the company start chipping in when the the workload gets heavy. They can't just add somebody else. They're going to need to take more time in hiring. So it was real clear business objective that was driving this. They want wanted not just to pay the people more, they wanted the people to be operating at a higher level of contribution to the company. They wanted them to make fewer errors. They wanted them to perform their work more efficiently and effectively. In response to that, they were eager to reward that higher level contribution. Is that right? Yeah. And it was actually the reciprocal. They wanted to pay people more and they all those other things they knew they would have to do in order to make it worthwhile and justifiable. Interesting. So how did that turn out? They were able to raise the the minimum pay from 11 to $15 an hour just in the last couple of months. They've got a plan to bump that up to $20 an hour or even 22 over the next couple of years. They don't know exactly how quickly they'll be able to get there, but they know what the milestones are along the way that they need to achieve. Have they seen the response that was expected from the people whose wages they're increasing? Are they getting that extra level of commitment that they wanted? Yeah, the turnover rate has already gone down, The and that saves a ton in draining costs, and it gives that sense of community as well. They've lowered their errors on shipments out the door by about a factor of four right now, and they think they're still trying to gather the data on this. They think they're getting more packages per person out the door. They've done some other things that help that as well. That's terrific. It's really important to see that there are business metrics that can be followed in addition to changing policies like that. See, one of the things that this reminds me of in your book is that you ask a very simple question. You ask leaders, do you believe fundamentally that people are good and inherently want the opportunity to do good work? Or do you think that people are selfish and lazy? Because that belief will drive the type of company you create. How do you bring that to a company and have them face that question so that they can align around one belief or the other? Because it is a dichotomy. You either have that belief one way or the other. It's not part of this, part of that, or on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, people are good, but towards the end of the week, they're bad. How do you communicate this to the people who are leading the companies that you deal with? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the ethos in the business world has changed, right? Like when I ask this question now, most of the time people say verbally that they believe that people are inherently good trying to do their best. They don't necessarily have the actions that line up with that. That hasn't changed nearly as much. But compared to, say, 10 or 15 years ago, where people would have not even owned that fact that they believe people are inherently good, that's the basis we're starting from now, which makes it a lot easier to then unpack places where their actions don't line up with those espoused values. We can go and look at how to write that alignment. Can you give me an example of a company you've worked with or covered in your research that was able to make steps to really get in line with that, with their policies so that they said, and I'm going to pick one of them. They said, people are good and we have some policies that are out of line with that. And we're not treating people 
in line with this belief? How do we review this and correct this so that we're consistent and congruent? Yeah, great question. So what's an example of a company that's been out of alignment? Ah, perfect. I can think of and think of one. So I want to talk about Paul. He's the, the division leader of a 200-person software company in a couple of different locations in Wyoming. Paul was there and he says that he absolutely believes that people are good and are trying to do the best thing that they can. At the, at the same time, there was a lot of policies on reporting what was going on, what the uh, the metrics needed to be, a lot of things that were done at the division level or the uh, the test team would take things from the, uh, the development team. And there was a lot of checking to make sure that all of your team's metrics were really good. There was a belief that people are good, but at the same time, everybody's there to try and do a little CYA, cover their own trail. So the belief was people are good, but sometimes their work sucks. And I'm going to be the one that finds it. Exactly. And that doesn't help us uncover what's really going on and build a better system. Right? A lot of what was needed was some psychological safety so they could test things and have a little bit of an experiment and could own their own failures. And it started with the leadership that was underneath Paul. There had to be a place where people could come and say, hey, you know what? I think I see some problems here in the group. I think I may have been causing some of these and I can own this, right? And then once the leaders started getting comfortable with that, then more and more people started getting comfortable with that. Where they actually found the problems was actually in the handoffs between the groups was the uh, the area where most of the value got created. That's so often the case where it is with the handoffs, where it's where information falls between the cracks or updates don't make it up to the people who are who need to receive that information because it's part of their day-to-day -day job or even their information isn't taken into account. So that's really important in order to make that happen. And it also reminds me of how an experiment that you wrote about with, with Dr. Ket. Keltner, Keltner, who wrote about the Cookie Monster study. And in that study, say three people were brought into a room and given the opportunity to converse and get to know each other. And then several minutes later, a plate of four cookies is brought in and left on the table. There's always one more cookie than the number of people there because the research team wanted to find out what happens when there's one more how does the last cookie get treated? And what does that tell us about leadership? What is it that you took away from the study? And what would you like to add to that to help us understand the importance of this in terms of leadership? What we saw from that study was that the person, the randomly appointed person was the randomly appointed leader was the person that grabbed that last cookie. And so we all can see this in our day to day. And I see this when I'm working with leaders as well. When we have that position of power, it's easy for us to speak up, to make suggestions. We know we're not going to get ridiculed. We know nobody's going to judge us. And even if we have outlandish or ridiculous ideas, even if we contradict ourselves, we'll be okay. But we've got the power in a traditional sort of system. And that creates some problematic behavior, especially if that's consistent over time, if it's always the, the same leader in the, the same role and it's a static hierarchy. And so what tends to be more useful is having dynamic or situational hierarchies, right? Because in every organization, in every situation, there's always somebody that has more context or more information. So that person is a great person to, to be a leader in this situation. And so let me back up for a moment, because what you're saying is really important. First of all, I wanted to point out that one person in the group is arbitrarily designated as a leader. And then you've, what follows from that 
is how often is that person the one who takes the extra cookie? The other point that I want to highlight is that you're talking about a dynamic or situational hierarchy. And let me back up for a moment, because what you're saying is really important. First of all, I wanted to point out that one person in the group is arbitrarily designated as a leader. And then what follows from that is how often is that person the one who takes the extra cookie? The other point that I want to highlight is that you're talking about a dynamic or situational hierarchy, and that allows people to experience that psychological safety within their companies. Is that the point that you're looking to highlight? Yeah, I think that psychological safety is so critical, right? We've got to feel like our voice is going to be respected, heard, and understood. So what's an example of an opportunity that a company might have to do this at a low risk, to give people leadership or authority or a role in some temporary situation that might be fun or creative that isn't saying, okay, just because we've read this study, instead of cookies, we're going to put Bob in, in charge of the nuclear plant safety checks this week, just to let him have the feeling of psychological safety without being trained. That's not really the point that we're looking to convey. What we're looking to convey is finding opportunities that are low risk to the company and offer a lot of benefit for people who are potential supervisors, managers, and leaders within an organization. Is that right? Yeah, that's dead on. I can give you an example of, of one where somebody's trying an experiment like this right now. I'm thinking about Paul, who leads an engineering team, small team, it's five to seven people. And Paul has some of the best ideas and and also some of the worst ideas, right? He's a traditional idea man, and he's really quick thoughts, really fast moving, and not all the the rest of the team feels the same way. He often has been the one leading the the meetings, and so now he's just switching it over and having somebody else. And other people take a little longer to get more comfortable. So he's passing it off to other people to be like, "All right, you're going to lead our all of our sprint meetings for the next couple of months if you want." All right, and so now that other people in the team are getting a chance to to practice their leadership. They're getting a chance to try out different facilitation styles and they know that they're going to have this for a little while. So if they bumble a couple, if it takes them a little while to find their group, no biggie. That's common for all of us, but the team's already stronger for it. And it's only a couple of months in. And it limits the time. It provides coaching and support from the manager to help build that level of confidence and competence with the people who are participating in that circle. That's a terrific example. It also gets to the point of the importance of being able to form effective agreements and co-create these situations with people. What are the obstacles to doing that that you've... The obstacles on creating effective agreements tends to be just taking the time and the thought to do it, to realize that it's going to be useful. But every time that somebody has a model or has ever seen it done before and goes, oh, that's actually not terribly challenging, not terribly hard. I can just make the implicit ways that we're doing and working explicit. And we can talk about that in a couple of quick minutes. That works really easily and really well. Let's do that now. Give me an example and maybe some language that's helpful for people to model in terms of taking the implicit and making it explicit. I highly recommend people check out liberatingstructures.com. They've got almost 40 models that you can use. And some of them would be taking this idea that for us in this conversation, we're agreeing not to to talk over each other. We never said that explicitly, but it's what we've naturally fallen into. That's just a, a way we can help and respect each other, which is useful when we're all on Zoom calls. Or maybe we actually make the exact opposite agreement and that it's totally okay to jump in and say what's on your mind because that's how we work and collaborate better. It just depends on the personalities that are on the team and on the call. So make agreements that work well for you and try out new ones. 
don't be afraid to have them as tentative or testing. Let's try this out for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and see how we feel about it. Travis, as you work with groups of managers and leaders and organizations, and you recognize that feedback is one of the areas, for instance, that they need to do more of, how do you actually coach them in a group to give feedback while creating the safety that's necessary for people to experiment and fumble and fail and then learn from those mistakes? So when I'm working with a manager, I might say and come in and talk to him or her directly and say, hey, let's make a team agreement. And would it be okay to bring the the whole team in here so we can have this as a group discussion? And we gather everybody together and say, hey, we all know that we care about each other. We all want what's best for the team. We all want what's best for the organization. One of the ways that we're going to get there is by giving a little feedback to each other. We're going to stumble and we're going to bumble along the way and we're going to screw up. Sometimes it might hurt a little bit, but we agree that we're in this together. And we're trying to do this for the betterment. What sort of questions or concerns do you have that would hold you back from being able to do that? Oftentimes, people come up and will raise the the concern on, I want people to know that I care about them, that I'm doing this for the greater good. When they hear that from each other, it makes everybody so much more willing and eager to, to lean into the feedback and get better themselves. I hope that people listen to what you just shared and find ways to really own it and adopt it into your own organizations and adapt it to the language that makes sense so that you can have people sharing more feedback day in and day out. What else have you noticed that's helpful to people that are managing teams and that need to step up their leadership in areas that they may not be aware of or might not have put the time into during this pandemic lockdown? Yeah. Coming back to Paul and the engineering team, we were just talking about this the uh, the other day on there needs to be a a piece of human connection that that comes in because we're missing that water cooler discussion that so naturally happens. We need to find ways that we're connecting with people on the personal on what's going on. I love just putting up a question at the the beginning of Zooms that's just a little off the the wall. What's the, the last picture that you took on your phone or what's a topic that you love to talk about or what's something that made you smile today? To find out something that's just random, that can be those human connecting pieces that we all need so much nowadays, because it's so much easier in the Zoom setting to be overly focused on the task piece of the puzzle instead of the interpersonal. Travis, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Oh, I can't wait. So at the beginning of the interview, you talked about someone who influenced, inspired you growing up, and you talked about your dad. What's a song that you loved as a teenager? I would have to go with Lose Yourself by Eminem. I was definitely a little bit of a, a rap nerd back in the day. How does that go? Oh, gosh. You gotta lose yourself. Oh, my gosh. I can't sing with the damn. Lose yourself in the moment. Nope. I can't do it. Not without the beat. When you think about your mission to get the word out about leadership and why it's important to lead together, what's the most effective way you've found to reach out and introduce yourself to companies that need the message and coaching that you offer? I found one of the most effective ways is to give people a little bit of a taste and invite them to come try this in a collaborative sort of environment. So I've been gathering CEOs and leaders of purpose-driven companies for 90-minute to two-hour like group sessions, and they get to come in and help each other with some real problems in a real collaborative sort of way. And that's been a super fun way that they get value right out of the door. Even if they we don't work together, they've solve some real problems in their lives. 
What's your definition of leadership? What's the best $100 or so purchase you've made in the last six months? The one I feel the best about is sending masks to my sister who teaches at an underprivileged school back in Florida. Love you, Tracy. There's nobody that shouldn't be able to have one kid, students, teachers that are for lack of funds. What would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? One that's certainly made me healthier in the pandemic is not eating out as much. It wasn't exactly an intentional habit to stop. That's the one that's been killed. Let's back up and talk about leadership. What do you think is one of the most important struggles that people are having right now with leading during the pandemic? I think there's so much uncertainty out there that people are questioning their own certainty. I find that that's fair and that's right. And that the path forward is actually distributing that to a broader set of people to gain that certainty from a group instead of from individuals. What are one or two tips that you could offer people right now that they could use to help make progress in this area, to help bring more certainty to the people that they're managing, people that they're leading, people that are looking to them for some guidance? First and foremost, you don't have to have all the answers if that's how you define yourself as a leader. That bringing out that uncertainty and vulnerability is actually really powerful in really uncertain times and be willing to listen to what other people know and be willing to change and adapt and adjust because that's become the new norm in 2020. Travis, you've shared so many great ideas today. I want to thank you so much. You started off with sharing about your dad, who's still going strong at 73, and all the lessons that he shared with you throughout his career and as your father. We talked about Mark at the e-commerce company, who was looking for ways to really build closer and stronger connections with the non-managerial people who are out on the floor and doing the picking and packing. And by raising the wage for them, he was able to create more loyalty and deepen that connection. We talked about the importance of having that essential belief in people, that people are good. And from that, it will flow. What are the policies that are consistent with that? What are the actions that are going to be consistent? We talked about Paul, who was based in Wyoming and realized that people are doing their best, but the metrics and the reporting were set up to actually find fault. While it's important to maintain QA by taking responsibility and making sure that the information and feedback flows and doesn't get caught between the cracks going between departments, that it makes all the difference. We reviewed the Cookie Monster study and highlighted how often the person who's arbitrarily selected is often the person who feels best about taking the extra cookie. And by rotating the roles of leadership in ways that help people build their confidence and their comfort with being able to lead others, whether it's in small group meetings or in any other situation, really helps create that dynamic environment. You talked about the importance in taking what's implicit with our agreements and making them explicit so that we can really be much more authentic leaders and we can develop that sense of community in bringing people together. So for all these reasons and so many more, Travis Marsh, I want to thank you for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Bill, it's been a real pleasure being here. Thanks so much for having me. Travis, it's been great talking with you. Before we say goodbye for now, can you tell us where we could find out more about you and your work online? Yeah, the best place to find us is leadtogether.co. Great. Hey, Travis, we're going to link not only to your website, but also to Amazon to get your book and also your social media so people can find out the latest and greatest about what you're thinking and the work that you're doing. So Travis Marsh, co-author of Lead Together, The Brave, Bold, and Intentional Path to Scaling Your Business. 
Thanks once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thanks. It's been so much fun. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.